Welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling Paulier Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Thursday as we are in full-on preview episode mode for yes. Bengals, Ravens, wild card, super wild card weekend. Do we have to go super? Are they making us no. super, Jay? No, that's like FedEx, Rose Bowl, and that kind of thing. You, you don't need those qualifiers. That, that's just technicalities. Yeah, well... Supposedly, the NFL says a super wild card weekend is a wild card game between the Bengals Ravens 815 kick off at Paycor Stadium on Sunday night. We are going to dive into all aspects of that here today because you need it. You want it. You're <laughs> thirsting for it. So hungry. Uh, hungry like the Bengals are for turnovers. Savages yes. about that stuff. At least we've been told. Yeah. Uh, we've got ben a lot. Scene. We, we've got so much to talk about. Um, really excited. Dan Horde's going to join us uh, on today's episode. Uh, you know, we save up. I don't. I don't want to. Dan is a very busy man, especially this time of year. I, I never want to try to knock on his door too much. Um, but if there's a spot, you know, if there's ever a spot where you want to bring in the hammer, right? <laughs> the hammer on the coffin nails. You want to bring in Dan Horde playoff week, the beginning of the playoffs. So excited he's going to join us today. Assuming he can get out of his line at CVS uh, where he's trying to get his TC- TSA pre-check taken care of. Hopefully it works out for him. <laughs> uh, but he'll be dropping in. And we have Jeff Zrebeck is back. Jay, you talked to Jeff. Yeah. If you're watching us on YouTube, hello. That interview is already up on YouTube. Don't stop watching us now. We'll get you. Take your time. You'll get there. Um but Jeff, Jeff going to join us to talk a little bit more about Lamar Jackson and uh, other many other bits of news coming out of Baltimore, a very newsy place these days. Um, and we'll have predictions, and we're gonna you're gonna hear from Joe Burrow, you're gonna hear uh, from Luana Rumo, and a bunch of others. We have lots of stuff to get to. News, not a ton of news necessarily that you don't already know. Um, so we'll just tick through some things. T. Higgins n- did not show up at practice, according to Zach Taylor. He is sick. Uh, so they're hoping that he will be back on Thursday. We'll know more as we uh, you know get later into the week. Um, John Harbaugh thinks that Jay is full of crap. And uh, <laughs> all this talk about uh, Bengals players being all mad about cheap shots and stuff. John Harbaugh having absolutely none of it says, I don't, millions of people watch that game. They know it's clean. We didn't do anything like that. I don't know what you're talking about. So just John, John wanted you to know that. He didn't. He didn't appreciate what Bengals players were telling you after the game on Sunday. Well, and that's the thing. It was I was just reporting what they were saying. I went back and watched the game, and I I tend to agree with them. I think what it sounded like that they were talking about a lot of cheap stuff, um, and I thought it was under the pile, out of view type of stuff. When you go back and watch it, yeah, there's a little shoulder sh- uh, shiver that that Roquan gives chase in the end zone and there's some some questionable maybe may, the hit on uh Higgins the hit on Boyd on the sideline maybe could have been defenseless receiver but it was those are the those are things where maybe it's a penalty maybe it's not I don't know that you would call it cheap so I I, I tend to side with him and the, the Bengals players I talked to didn't give specifics didn't want to get into details so I just I, I found it kind of curious when they were saying it I was like whoa there, there's a lot here and then I watched the game I'm like hmm I wonder what they are talking about exactly perhaps there's more that meets the eye and we yeah. uh we shall see either way two teams very much dislike each other 
We <laughs> already knew that uh, coming into this, but it is clearly amped up as we get into this weekend. Um, the line has moved to eight and a half now, the Bengals, um, as favorites, because uh looks like Lamar Jackson not going to play. You'll hear a lot more about that, uh, Jeff Strebeck. But your interview with Jeff, uh, you did on Wednesday before he did not show up at practice, mm-hmm. um, is, but you know, all reports are swelling, other issues still they are not going to play this weekend. Interestingly, Tyler Huntley also uh, limited and not throwing at all during the portion open to the media. So Anthony Brown potentially in line to come back and make uh, another his second career start and his first playoff start um, if Huntley can't go. So that now up in the air makes it even more interesting. Hence, line on the move. Bengals by eight and a half now. Major developments out of Baltimore. No Lamar. Jackson this weekend that's as we all know does not take a brain surgeon to tell you significant that 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 line is kind of like the price is right mountain climber game the it just keeps climbing going up um I do wonder though Harbaugh is uh known for this I don't want to say famous for this but um if there's some deception going on because if the if the Ravens portion of practice open to the media is similar to what the Bengals is you you could see where maybe they don't let Huntley throw, and then when when the media is out of there, then he gets in there and gets some work in. If, if if it's all just kind of a ruse to to keep the Bengals guessing, it's it wouldn't put that by this. If there's always some shenanigans with the injury reports, and and who's going to release them first when these two teams play, and it's just all part of divisional football. And like you said, teams that do not like each other. Uh, I'm going to drop this stat in here for you real quick while we're talking about the line. It's a, if it's at eight and a half. Uh, since 2000, Jay, 13 times a home wild card team has been favored by between seven and 10 points. You know, I love this stuff. So <laughs> we've, we've got your uh, your subset here been favored by between seven and 10 points at home in the wild card round. What do you think the record of that team is in those games? 12 and one, 11 and two. 11 and 2 for the team and it's a 7-6 they covered 7 times did not cover 6. Two of those losses however have come in the last 5 years. Uh Kansas City in the 2017 season um right before Mahomes showed up and uh New Orleans in the 2019 season. Um the New Orleans it was an overtime loss to Minnesota. I believe that was that the Minnesota Miracle? Might be the Minnesota Miracle. That was in Minnesota. That was in Minnesota. Sorry, yeah. different game. Getting yeah. getting my New Orleans and Minnesotas mixed up. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Very much a side point. Uh, so, okay. That's a little bit of where we're at in news. Uh, Ted Karras, Media Cooperation Award. Congratulations to him. He's been awesome all year. Uh, look forward to his run as mayor in 2032. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, we have a story that's coming out um, about you know, how the Bengals are using last year's experience and run to help fuel i guess this year's but really just the value of experience and what but what is that specifically like what what did they learn from last year's run that they are you know injecting back into the bloodstream now what i found interesting jay is we went around we talked to we were up to 15 at last Mm -hmm. count uh players coaches asking them sort of specifically that question what what did you learn that you maybe didn't know about winning in the playoffs in the nfl from last year's run to the Super Bowl. And the variety of answers was fascinating to kind of speak to how complex and nuanced 
trying to put, you know, actually putting together a run in the playoffs is and how hard it is. I think that was where it started off. I think Lou Anarumo started that way, uh, that it's really hard to win. <laughs> you know, it's kind of what you really learn is how hard getting all those wins was and how close, how, how fine the line it can be in the playoffs. But what I thought was an interesting side part of this was how now all year, Jay, it's been we don't want to talk about last year. Mm-hmm. We're not last year's team. This is the new Bengals. All of a sudden now it's Troy Walters is showing clips of the Super Bowl to remind everybody of how close they were and what, how they want to get back. Uh, Luana Rumo's just sitting watching last year's playoff games in his office, you know, going back through the Raiders game, going back through some of these. This is, there was a, a re-embracing of what they did last year that has kind of seemed to have shown up this week that I thought was an interesting side note. Yeah. I, I think you almost have to do that. You yeah. don't want to seem presumptuous early on that you're going to get back there. But then once you do get back there, it's, it's like it, 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 it makes it okay to turn the page and, and start looking at that. And, and even, you know, even some of the guys that we talked to still, didn't want to that was a common line was last year was last year this is a whole new year and yet you have to kind of draw it out and you're like yeah but what did you i I know that that doesn't have anything to do with this year but what did you learn and um it was that that was really interesting what you mentioned because anytime we do one of these pieces that's always in the back of your mind well what happens if everybody gives us the same answer it makes for a boring story or you have to spike the story and that did not happen at all and I, i thought some of the guys some of the guys that you know we don't talk to a lot um, gave some of the best answers. Um, my, my personal favorite was, was Stanley Morgan. And, and I said, uh, you know, do, now that the playoffs are here, do you find yourself thinking about last year's run? He's like, hell yeah. And he just, <laughs> I was like, well, what do you, th- what do you think about? And he's like losing the Super Bowl. Um, so it is, it's, it's on their minds. It's driving them. They're, 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 they're leaning on what they learned. And then they're also kind of embracing that sting again of of losing the Super Bowl and not wanting to experience that again. Yeah. A, a few of the things that were touched on that I think are going to be, you know, part of this. You know, I thought Burrow talked about how much he learned about the importance of taking care of his body through the back half mm-hmm. of the season and how just how, you know, beat down and tired you can get and the importance of focusing on keeping yourself fresh and keeping yourself healthy. Zach Taylor kind of touched on that too about how look we keep everybody fresh man because at this time people are just it's it's been a long grind especially if you end up all the way to mid February how hard how taxing that is and how much he kind of eases up on them a little bit during practice weeks and and just kind of scaling all of that back as much as possible um I think I think that's certainly part of it um but it's it's more it's more than that you know it's it's about it's about a team that that can figure out ways to win in so many different ways and what that's a, to me something that we've talked about all season with this team mm-hmm. is how they can morph to whatever the game plan needs to be every week and there's just not a lot of teams that can do that and it makes it really hard to man, to maneuver a challenging multifaceted path um, it's something they picked up, I think, during last year's Super Bowl run in particular and has really blossomed in them this year. And I think it fits them. I mean, think about it. Think about what this path could be, you know, if all things played out. 
a Baltimore AFC North bloodbath against a hardcore running team, right? Big Tennessee vibes from last year in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be able to to be a physical, powerful team that can find ways to win that way. Go to Buffalo. Shoot out potentially another well-rounded team on the road. I mean, a top-tier club. And then Mahomes, right? I mean, you've got to be able to you've got to be able to win shootouts. You've got to be able to win bloodbaths. You've got to be able to beat the well-rounded team. You've got to be able to beat the team that has the offense like no other in the league and maybe a little bit more susceptible on the defense. You got to take advantage of that. Like there's just every team is different when you try to get and then oh yeah oh by the way maybe you meet like a San Francisco who has just one of the <laughs> stupidest offenses going right now with Brock Purdy at quarterback doesn't seem to matter there's just everybody's so different at that top level in the way that they win and find ways to win in order to maneuver through that you have to be very versatile something they were last year and something that was pointed out to us by a number of players uh, at this point yeah the, the the one element that they don't have to to face this year that they faced last year was uh, playing themselves, playing their history that it, it just so much of the conversation last year at this time was about breaking that curse and and getting that first playoff win. And, and now that that is out of the way, I just, I feel like this, all these guys are just a lot more comfortable, um, a lot more eager to, to talk about the playoffs and, and this whole run and this whole experience last year, there was, it was a tense week last year leading up to the, the the Raiders game, and that has not been the case at all this year. I mean, yeah, I didn't have to talk to Kevin Walker. He's really happy about this, right? Like, <laughs> yes. we didn't call Kevin Walker. We didn't uh, re- we didn't look up the price of milk in 1991. We weren't <laughs> referencing the creepy white van in the Oilers game in 91, you know, and Boomer and almost running into it. The fact that Seg was inside it, which is still amazing. <laughs> Seg was inside the creeper white van. Uh, we didn't have to do any of that. It's no. not what it is now, right? The, the The conversation has rightfully morphed from being about the city and the the drought and all the black cloud that hovered over all of that organizationally to me to now being about Joe Burrow to now being about this guy his I don't know legacy but this this franchise winning what they've never won before and in a feeling of optimism of hope of expectations not of dread of what if of the drought that is what's gone and how things can change and i think that's an important thing to keep in mind um it, it's just such a different feel it's just it's such a different yeah. feel this week as as you go through it for that reason all right let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor dan horde is here dan how are we doing Paul, Jay, I'm awesome. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be on with you guys. Yeah, awesome yeah, to, have, to have you. Awesome to have you here. Um, Got a little bit of a Joe Burrow turtleneck thing going on here. <laughs> yeah. I don't, but, think, I don't think I pull it off as well. No, not quite. I think um, you know you, you went with the black, which is more of an understated. If you would have gone full white, see, I, maybe I pulled this all the way up and kind of give like my version of it. We can yeah go like that. Um, neither of us trying to dress like Joe Burrow uh, for good reason. Um, but I, I want to I want to start with this. What has your been your impression of Burrow's evolution this year, Dan? I mean, we've seen him grow each year in different ways. And this year has seemed to be monumental f- 
for his sustainability, maybe. And I'm curious your thoughts on how you've seen him evolve to get back to this point again. I think the great thing about Joe is whatever his weakness or her, his perceived weakness is from the previous year or the previous half year, whatever it might be, he fixes it. So his first year, the deep ball was a problem. The next year, he was the best deep ball quarterback in the mm -hmm. NFL. Coming into this year, can you methodically drive down the field when the team is taking that away? Eh, for a couple of games, not so much. Now, absolutely. Whatever, re whatever style of game is required, Joe Burrow will come through. And I want to follow up on what you guys were talking about before I came on, the mm -hmm. fact that we no longer have this dread, the playoff drought. There's no way they're going to come through in the playoffs. I was talking to somebody the other day who's a big Bengals fan, and he said to me, you know, the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause is the primetime game. I'm worried about the Bengals playing in primetime. And I said, give me a piece of paper. <laughs> and I wrote down, this is the year 3JB, as in Joe Burrow. Mm. Disregard all the other stuff that you've worried about as a Bengals fan your whole life. Playoff droughts, primetime games, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter anymore. We've got this guy. None of the other stuff applies. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I'm going to call my kids and tell them it's year three JB. So uh, that's the way I think we should all look at it. Got to break out the old uh, the WWJD bracelets. You know what I mean? And you've got a, they got a new one. They got a new one. All of a sudden, some would say both are deities in their own right, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, it, it, it's not just that dread of primetime games. I I do wonder, and not reporting this, but the Bengals losing that Buffalo game and, and how incredible that atmosphere was that night and being so mad about the coin flip and the way that the NFL kind of treated them. You, I, I almost wonder, did they request this game to be in primetime to kind of duplicate that, that atmosphere they had that they lost on the Monday night football game where – it's not just the fan base. It's every, it's the whole organization. Now prime time is not an issue anymore. I don't know that. I don't know if you even do that in the postseason. I know mm. prior to the season, you make requests about scheduling. I don't know if that applies in the postseason. I can tell you this. I had the opportunity to talk to Mike Tirico yesterday. Mm. They didn't know they were getting Bengals Ravens until they were on the air after the mm. Sunday night game and were basically handed the card saying, this is the Sunday night game. <laughs> this is what you've got. And he said, uh, you know, I asked him for his opinion. He's, but my opinion doesn't matter. My partner's thrilled. <laughs> Collinsworth gets to stay in his own bed this week. So uh, uh, those guys are excited to have Joe Burrow and the Bengals, obviously. Uh, speaking of excited, I'm curious if you can give us a little bit of a view of what lap is like, but right before a playoff game. Is he in a lap? Does he get in a lather? Is it like feel like he's about to put a helmet on or something? Pre-playoff game, what's lap like in the booth? Pre-playoff game lap is actually a little bit, I think, the opposite of what you might expect. Mm -hmm. He really gets like serious and locks in for <laughs> postseason games. The Super Bowl, it was almost like a different guy. I mean, he had the blinders on. <laughs> he was focused like he was coaching or playing. So that's kind of what I expect going into the game on Sunday night. And then once the game begins, lap is lap. Yeah, I was thinking I, I, I was going to do the cliche question and ask you what your your if you have a favorite call of your own. But do you have a favorite lap call? Um, maybe one where he 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 chimes in in the middle of one of yours or something he said on his own. Hard to beat the ball is out. Terrence. Yeah. Newman. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the Green Bay comeback. The ball is out. Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that was Lap at his absolute best. Uh, I, I wanna, I'm curious, as far as this team goes, when you look at the playoffs, I mean, I think they're, they're clearly – no one could debate that this team, no one would be blink an eye if they won the Super Bowl. I mean, they are amongst that group. They've, they've won eight in a row. There's nothing to stand in that way. But for you, when you look at the team, is there something that you are very curious to see this weekend or really throughout a potential playoff run to see? It, it, maybe you're you're a little nervous about or apprehensive about or think it's going to be you know a big part of whether or not they can come through and, and make a full run. I think it's the same for me as it is for everybody else, the right side of the offensive line. Sure, it's brutal man. that you get through 15 games with the same five guys starting, and then you get to the playoffs with a first-time starter, a right guard. Thankfully, he's not a rookie or a guy with no experience like they trotted out basically in the playoffs last year. Max Sharping has 33 NFL starts under his belt. Looks like he's more or less been kind of a middle-of-the-road type performer. And as you guys have noted many times over the years, that's really the key on the offensive line. You just can't have... Uh, an absolute weak link that gets destroyed. I don't think that's going to be the case for Max Sharping. I think he'll be okay. What's the difference between Alex Kappa and Max Sharping realistically? It's a few plays a game where an elite player like Alex Kappa doesn't get beat and a middle-of-the-pack type player does get beat a couple of times. How do they handle those plays? Does Joe avoid a sack? Does he throw the ball away? Can you avoid a disaster for the few times a game where the replacement gets beat and maybe gets beaten badly, where a great player like Alex Kappa doesn't, I think that's going to be a huge key. So if, if that's the big key and the big concern, take Joe Burrow out of the equation. And what what about what you've seen from this team either this year or on this eight-game streak? What, what gives you the most confidence that this run can keep going in the postseason? Well, I do think the offensive line in general has performed very well since week three. And like I said, unlike last year, you're not running out, running guys out there that are really new to it. Um, so I think the offensive line play will continue to be okay based on the group that they have, based on the chemistry that they have, even though they're plugging in new guys now. I think Frank Pollock is relatively happy with how Hakeem Adeniji has played the first couple of games. I know they liked Max Sharping a lot coming out of college. Derek Frazier, who's the number two guy on the offensive line coaching totem pole, went out and scouted him at Northern Iowa, liked him uh, when Frank and Derek were both with the New York Jets. So I think it is going to be okay going forward. I think it'll be better than it was in the postseason last year. And if that's the case, they can certainly get back to the Super Bowl and win it. Um, we have asked as many people as we could the last couple of days what their takeaway was of maybe something they learned from last year's Bengals playoff run about why teams win in the playoffs and, you know, kind of the specifics of what the experience actually will mean for this team this year. For you, what did you learn from last year's run about why teams win in the playoffs that maybe could be applicable for this team in the next month? that your defense has to win at the end of the game. Yeah. It's going to come down to a play or two at the end of the game now. I'm not saying that they'll have an interception on their final defensive play every week like <laughs> they did last year. I mean, they did that in all three games leading up to the Super Bowl, and if they make that play in the Super Bowl, they've got rings. That's what's going to happen again. I think they're a, a better team than Baltimore. 
And who knows who's going to play quarterback for the Ravens. And having said that, I still think it's going to be a nail biter. Mm -hmm. Ravens defense is good enough. The nature of playing a team that knows you and you know them, it just feels to me like it's going to, you know, come down to the end. And if that's the case, your defense is going to have to rise to the occasion when the game is on the line and make a play or make a couple of plays. And I think they gained a lot of confidence that they will do that based on doing it in the postseason last year. And defense and special teams. No question. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Money Mac picks up where he left off in the mm-hmm. postseason as opposed to, you know, the handful of misses that he's had this year. I almost think you have to throw out two of the games where he performed poorly. Obviously, week one with the long snapper going down and then the New England game where it was so brutally cold and, and nasty that two great kickers couldn't make a kick. But he still had a few misses other than those two games that were kicks that he didn't miss in the postseason. I think we all have confidence that he'll come through if the game's on the line. But last year, he had five game-winning walk-off field goals. Mm-hmm. This year, he hasn't had an opportunity for one of those since week one, and he missed it in week one when he didn't have his long snapper. So uh, I do think at some point in the postseason, one of these games, or maybe more than one, will come down to Evan McPherson making a game winner. Um before we let you go, it would only be right if we concluded with a little fantastic fun facts with Dan Horde. Um, only, only fair. Um, I have I only have three, so we're not, we're not gonna uh, just 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 three three here I'm for ready. you. Uh, the first one, um, we've talked, you've talked about former Bills play by play man, late great Van Miller being your hero. Yeah. Uh, one, have you ever? trotted out his famous call of fandemonium at any point and two how did miller most form your style and and approach to calling games i have never used fandemonium (laughs) which is a word that van created and uh, made famous in buffalo i did slip once though and it's really one of the the bigger gaffes of my career and it came in a big moment the tyler boyd catch that beat Baltimore, the famous, you know, Andy Dalton, the Tyler Boyd game winner that sent the the Bills to the playoffs. I was acutely aware of what that meant in Buffalo, and I was kind of doing the parallel storyline thing Mm -hmm. down the stretch, which was good. I thought I handled that part well. But then when they scored the touchdown, I said the word panamanium, (laughs) which is like pandemonium and mania or something combined (laughs) i don't know where it came from i i I wish it were embraced since and wound up in the dictionary so i'd feel better Uh, it wasn't meant to be fandemonium like van miller but we all make uh, mistakes especially when your mouth is freezing because it's about uh, 10 below zero and as for how he informed my style none of it was intentional but i'm sure i call a football game somewhat similarly to the way that he did for his 40 years as the voice of the Bills, because that's what I listened to as a kid. So phrases that I use, things that I identify, I'm sure that it came from him unintentionally. That happens to every announcer for the guy they listen to most when they're growing up. Um, Worst fate, a meal at Subway, (laughs) (laughs) a month of AAA baseball bus trips, or forced to binge watch four seasons of Survivor. Ooh. 
<laughs> so I watched the first three seasons of Survivor yes. and really enjoyed it. But once I was out, I was out. I mean, yeah. I felt like I had seen everything in three years. How you two just keep going for you know, it's very different, Dan. It's changed dramatically. It's like a whole other show. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> you want to go back and relitigate Tina winning in uh, season three? I'm so happy to old do that. News, old news. <laughs> uh, but but my choice uh, would be anything but the subway meal (laughs) for people watching this the question was asked because these guys know i loathe cold sandwiches to begin with it's true since the invention of fire i like my food cooked (laughs) if absolutely forced if there is nothing else available i can force down a turkey sandwich it has to be very plain like turkey mustard bread nothing else and i can stomach that other than that I want it cooked, and Subway's not getting it done for me. Subway's not getting it done. Uh, I I was going to just say, would you rather eat a meal at Subway or have me cut your tongue out? And But I thought that was a little <laughs> taking it maybe too far. Um, <laughs> so obviously, if you could have dinner with three other people in history, athlete, actor, statesman, anyone, yeah. as you ask, have asked everyone uh, all year this year, uh, who would it be? I sure, I'm sure you've thought about this considering how many times you've asked it. I have. Now, I ask, when I ask the question, it's just if you could meet anybody meet. in history. Okay. It's not a dinner with mm-hmm. three. It's just if you could meet anybody in history, who would that person be? And most people tend to say, you know, famous inspirational leaders, Martin Luther King, one of our founding fathers, something like that. I wish my answer were that impressive and that deep. But honest to God, the person that I would most want to meet is Steve Martin. Yeah. I love Steve Martin. Really? Everything that he has done, going back to wild and crazy guys, to the (laughs) movies, to the more sophisticated stuff that he's done since. I have always been a huge admirer of Steve Martin. Loved him on his most recent appearance on Saturday Night Live. He's made me laugh for decades. He's still doing it. Still has a great head of hair. Steve Martin is my guy. Steve Martin or the man that invented fire? Yeah, both, both <laughs> high up on Dan's list. If Steve Martin were old enough, he would have invented fire. He is that brilliant. <laughs> Steve Martin holding the chair. All I, in this chair is all I need. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite moments. All right, uh, Dan. Thank yeah, wait, you. Do, you, do you guys have an answer to that question? Have you ever given thought to who you would most like to meet in history? Do you have an answer, Jay? I, I don't. I would have to think about that because I don't want to. If you go top of the head and then somebody comes back to you, I uh, this is this doesn't make great content right now. But I, I I don't have anyone off the top of my head. I would I would be an immediate go to. Um, I I don't. You know, I'm sure there are some that are. I, I'm. This is, I fall into a similar line as you, Dan, is because I, I would like to know what it's like to just laugh hysterically hanging out with somebody who I think is one of the funniest humans mm. I've ever come yeah. across. To me, I, I, it would be Will Ferrell. I would want to just. <laughs> So what's it like to hang out with Will for a little bit? Like, I, I assume it's just completely ridiculous and just pick his brain on um, how some of the sketches that I think are some of the funniest things that I've ever seen in my life came to be, you know, uh, or just talk about the 
patriotism scene from Saturday Night, with Saturday Night Live sketch where he's in the like the tiny little America. Sorry about my bulge and my nugget pouch. Fellow cast yeah. members did not know he was going to wear. Yes. Apparently in rehearsal, yeah. Yeah. it was tight, but not that tight. <laughs> and then he came out rocking one that was seven sizes smaller than anticipated. While he's w- waving that fat butt in uh, cast base faces uh, amazing that, that was a great moment. amazing i, I think was... will ferrell and steve martin have a lot in common yeah because yeah. they're both obviously brilliant guys but the core of their humor is silly yes mm-hmm. and that's what kills me i'm with you in both cases i'm with you uh dan i appreciate you taking some time out to chat with us and uh, humoring yeah. us as always and uh we will uh we'll see you down at the stadium sounds good thanks for having me on i yep. appreciate yep. it thanks, thanks dan. dan all right let's just take a quick break I want to I want to talk a little bit about something, some conversations that were had on Wednesday in the locker room um, with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. You know, DJ Reader kind of talked a little bit about in that that segment about looking forward uh, by things that were learned over the course of last year. We talked about that with Dan a second ago. Being you know, the stars come out, right? I mean, and it's it's got to, this is this league becomes about your stars at certain levels, and they have to be the ones to carry you, and specifically offensively. I mean, we have it has been well documented um, the importance of efficient passing game and putting up big numbers and finding ways to be explosive, um, even against tough defenses in the playoffs, being such a difference maker. And you know, in many ways, that comes down to. Burrow and Chase, and the reason you believe, the reason you have hope, the reason you talk about year three uh, pre-JB is um, because Burrow has always been so good in these spots. He he talked yesterday about, you know, kind of talking about why he's always been so good uh, in big moments, in the brighter the light, the bigger the stage, the bigger the moment in the game. And he said, you know, you have to be a little bit arrogant, you know, to think that, this moment is for you to own. I could not agree more. Like there is a certain attitude of confidence and really it does have to kind of cross over to arrogance at that point. You know, you can't zero me, right? Uh, You know, that, Mm -hmm. that has to be a part of who you are to say the moment will not phase you even a bit. You, you can't have any fear and Burrow is, if anything, he is fearless and merciless in those moments. Um, He expounded on that a little bit. Um, and I wanted to bring this to you, him kind of talking a little bit more about why he's so good on those big stages and big moments. You know, it's do or die. That's, uh, that's where you like to be. Um, you know, in those moments, I feel like, you know, is is where I kind of make my best plays. Um, it's just where I'm comfortable. And, you know, these, these moments are moments that you, you, you remember. You don't always remember week week six games on the road. You remember these playoff games, these home night playoff games. And so we're, we're excited. I know I know the fans will come out ready to go. Uh, that, that atmosphere on that Monday night game that we didn't unfortunately end up playing, that was the best atmosphere pregame I'd ever been a part of. So we're going to need that again on Sunday. Like you're now ever in the NFL? Or just ever. Like SEC-wise ever. He went on to say, yeah, more than just that, Matt Mystery's ever been a part of. He was specifying ever, ever, ever been a part of LSU, night games at Baton Rouge, national championships, you name it. Athens High School, (laughs) 
best atmosphere he's ever been a part of. I thought that was a big statement. But also, the other part of that was, it's where I'm most comfortable. And there's just very few people that are most completely comfortable in the most tense situation. And we've talked about it over and over again. It's just such a game changer when you reach this stage. Yeah, and it's something that you you can't fake. All these guys have BS meters, and yeah, a quarterback can go in there and and you know portray confidence that he's going to lead the two minute drill and lead the team to the win. And if he doesn't really believe it, the way Joe Burrow does, other guys are going to sniff that out. And it's it it's something that he doesn't have to fake. He really does have it. And it on a on a lesser scale, it's it's. It reminds me of the, the Evan McPherson talk last year with Darren Simmons talking about he's they he wore this monitor to to measure his breathing and his heart rate and it, it never changed and that's that's the same where physically Burrow doesn't change in those big moments but mentally I, he does he rises to meet the moment and and he feels comfortable and he wants it he embraces it yeah everyone wants the chance to win the game not everyone wants the chance to possibly be the goat and lose the game and that that doesn't even enter his mind he's he's he says put me out there every chance you every chance you get and and he's going to win most of them He's going to win most of them. Sometimes he won't, but there's no fear of that. You know, mm-hmm. there is no greater example than his than the biggest failure moment, right? Fourth and one in the Super Bowl. Yep. Audibles to a deep ball to chase because that's what's open. He's not. A, he's fearless to make that play, to make that call, to try to hit the most epic throw of all time. Maybe sometimes it backfires, but he's never going to be afraid to do it. And we've seen that time and time again with him um, in games where he's he's never afraid um, to do something that is a little risky or takes um, it takes a fearlessness to it. He's, he's never going to be afraid to do that. Um, partially is usually because of his faith in Jamar Chase. A lot <laughs> of people faith, but uh, faith in Chase specifically. One topic that I've been kind of bringing up this week um, is it just occurred to me as we we've we've seen this over the last month. I feel like we've seen a lot of these deep goes to chase where there is just a lot of contact, and he's so good. I mean, maybe his biggest strength as a receiver is the ability to fight through contact at the catch point and still make the play, and. Uh, They've been a lot of them have been falling incomplete, surprisingly. And we haven't seen many flags. Really, the one against Tredavious White at the beginning of the Buffalo game that got canceled was one of the few flags. It was just so egregious uh, mm-hmm. that that we've seen against Chase. And we saw again last week no flags on a ball that got dropped. The one where Rokon Smith came up and, and gave him the bump that has been much talked about. And he said something interesting when I asked him about that. He said, you know, I haven't been getting any calls since the Tampa game. And I'm one of the best receivers in the NFL. I should be getting those calls. Um, and so why what, what, Why do you think you haven't gotten calls since the Tampa game? And he pointed out, well, I got up and I got in the face of the official. That didn't do me any good. That backfired. Mm-hmm. Now I don't even talk to the officials anymore. I don't say anything and I don't get any calls. I haven't gotten any calls. I think he's in, he was insinuating 
that his reaction to jumping into the face of that official in Tampa had effects across the league where all of a sudden now, don't throw that flag for Chase, he's a jerk, or whatever. Um, I thought it was an interesting thing for him to say, and it's true, we haven't seen a lot of calls, and that is important because that's how teams are now playing him, Jay. Brian Callahan mm-hmm. talked about that when I asked him about that earlier in the week. He said that is the approach that teams are taking. They realize you can't cover this guy without trying to be physical with him. You can't do it, and you're seeing more of that. And I think that's going to be fascinating to see how officials handle chase and contact at the at the the catch point and throwing DPIs throughout the playoffs when refs are a little more willing to keep it in their pocket. They don't want to throw that big DPI flag. Will they? What will that look like? And and and, sh- and should it look that like that? It's an interesting point from Chase because he's right. He has not gotten the calls. Um since that moment with the official in Tampa, but it was, it, it wasn't anything that we haven't seen a lot of other receivers do. And maybe he used some choice language that, that we're not privy to by watching the video, but you see, you see receivers get up and complain about no calls all the time. Um, it, it didn't look over the top, but again, we don't know what was said, but it is, there is a line there where since then he has not gotten them and, um, it, it, you're right in the, in the postseason they do tend to swallow their whistles and keep the flags in the pocket a little bit more. And, um, who knows, maybe, maybe just bringing it up now as a way to him and Brian, both is a way to kind of put the officials on notice that, that, that it has been going on and just put that thought in the back of their mind that, um, not wanting to call every time, but you can't let defenses just mug the guy over and over and over again. I mean, and there has been, I mean, whether it's, you know, you, where you literally see uh, the jersey being pulled out or the mm-hmm. arm being pinned down, that sort of happened, you know, with, with T. Higgins and the one that he didn't catch this past week, you know, and Chase sort of mentioned with, with Worley, who was in last week for Marcus Peters, where that was kind of what he was trying to do. He also said he's a corner who really is kind of like a safety linebacker hybrid, which was just <laughs> such a... He was taking shots at everyone. I mean, basically yeah. was calling them soft. That yeah, they try to be physical, but their corners aren't really able to be physical. It's just their front and their linebackers that are physical. And that <laughs> Worley guy, he's like a linebacker out there trying to play corner. I mean, he had and then Roquan Smith, uh, the whole thing. Oh yeah, that dude did that on purpose, and uh, we got something for that. There's gonna be get back. Okay, like <laughs> Chase was just you gotta love the guy is just he's so unfiltered. He does not care. He's just. He's just out trying to have fun. He loves trash talk because he feels like it's fun. And it's he, he's like, and then it can be funny for the fans. I want it to be funny for the fans. I want to be entertaining out there. Like he's just got a he has such a fun attitude about it, and uh, he just isn't afraid to say anything. And you got to love that. I think that's just kind of who he is, rather than him trying to like set some big tone or anything. But I do think you know he's got to catch more of those. Mm. And so whether that's through flags or whether that's through him making those plays, those are critical. Uh, those are going to be critical when, when this team needs to find explosives and that, that is a primary weapon for them to go to. You wonder um, how many more of those uh, won't get hauled in. Uh, but, you know, otherwise, he's no one has doubts about who Jamar Chase is. He's been great. Um, that's the one thing that's been surprising a few times, right? Like we talked about Brian Callahan on Tuesday saying, you're stunned when Burrow misses one. It goes to show you how spoiled we are, he said. Well, 
this is the same thing when Chase doesn't make some incredible play in these one-on-one situations where Burrow gives him a chance. You're surprised because you have been spoiled by seeing him make so many, but it's kind of been a trend now and you haven't seen the flags and you wonder how long it'll continue. What I enjoyed yesterday about Jamar, I was not in for that conversation, but I was standing right next to him talking to Samaj P. Ryan for this this piece we're doing on what they learned last year. And he was kind of surprised to see the reporters approaching. And he's like, oh, y'all want to do this today? He's like, I got uh, I got seven or eight minutes. I think he went way beyond that. You would know you were in for most of it, but it seemed like he he wants you guys got him going and he had some things to say and some people to say it about. And uh, he he. He really, there were some things he wanted to get off his chest, and I think he did a good job of that. Uh, yeah, he did. He <laughs> did. Uh, yeah, that was clear. He did want to get some things off of his chest. There's there's no question about that. Or he's just not afraid, too. If you're going to ask him questions, he's going to get stuff off of his mm. chest. So he just says what he's feeling. Um, the other side of this would be the defensive side of this thing, what Dan mentioned. Um, you know, the ability to make plays, to end games, to put games away, the Jermaine Pratt interception. The Logan Wilson interception off the apple tip in Tennessee, the Von Bell Jesse Bates combo in Kansas City, all games that were the last defensive play of the game that ended up in picks that essentially turned into Evan McPherson field goals or just walking it off like the game against Pratt or with Pratt against Vegas last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't look now, they're at it again. Um, The last, I had this in my Bengals playoff profile story kind of taking a view at some of the stuff we some of it we talked about on Tuesday but also you know their turnovers since week 14 they are second in the league in percentage of drives that have ended in turnovers 21 percent one in every five drives since week 14 has ended in a turnover uh they're only giving up 1.3 yards per drive over that span which is second in the NFL now there's again we keep talking about how weird these games have been and they've been teams that haven't exactly been epic offenses. Um, however, uh, it's been very notable. They have been getting them. They've had six fumbles in five games. They've been finding ways to rip it out, which is you know they've kind of mastered this art of holding the guy up and pulling the guy out at the same time. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, I have a little bit. Of, we have a little bit of Lou Anarumo talking about that before uh, we dive too much more into that topic. That I wanted to make sure we brought you. Here's a here's Lou Anarumo. So you've been around this league for a long time and seen a lot of things, but what did last year's playoff run here maybe teach you or really reconfirm to you about, I don't know, the NFL, the league? Did you learn, take, was there a big takeaway from that from you? Um, yeah, it's hard uh, to win. <laughs> um, but just the takeaways would be how important the takeaways are. Okay. You know, and when you, know, you look at every game we played um, – you know, I just watched, I uh, was looking at something, and the Raider game, um, early in the game, sack fumble, Larry picks it up. You know, like, that's in the first quarter, just to get the momentum, taking possessions away from the offense at critical times. I just think, uh, you know, no more illustrated than last year's playoff run, really. And so the timing of them all and uh, just getting them is, is just, they become so, every possession is so precious in the postseason. And then when you take them away from a from a good offense or any offense, it, it just really helps your team. I feel like, you know, you guys just have had a knack for that really for a number of years now. <laughs> but is I mean, 
it's easy. Like every single team spouts the numbers, and we put an emphasis on it. There's clearly something different about you guys with that. I mean, have you, is there something you can put your finger on? I just think it's like anything else. Once they see that it, oh my, you know, this this stuff really works, and you know, we can get the ball off people, and we're sprinting to the ball. And now I'm going to be the one that rips it out, or I'm going to be to get the tipped interception. I just think they they really uh, focus on it even more. And you know, it's it's as coaches, everybody in the league. As you mentioned, is preaching takeaways and you know strip attempts and all that, and um, we're no different. But you know the, the guys believe, and it's documented now. So they're they're confident that if they catch a ball, make a play, we still got a chance to get it out. So going back to Laps' earlier question about the the turnovers, and obviously the one at New England Bonds punch out mm-hmm. situation situationally was the biggest one. But is there one that stands out in your mind that kind of epitomizes what you want this defense to be about? Well, um, I think Jermaine's against Kelsey was huge, you know, and, and just, okay, they catch the ball. It's the best tight end in the league. He not only rips it out, but he recovers it too. You know, it's like the never – it's the it's the we're not going to ever stop mentality. You know, you're going to have to um, – you know, the final whistle is going to have to blow before we're done and then just keep going. And I think that one – Really, kind of uh, exemplifies that, and 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 Vaughn's. You know, we're it's about to be, you know, whatever. Not good, but at the end of the day, we get the ball back. Um, Jay, you know, I got stats to back that up. Bengals sure. love the uh, the got to get to plus two, right? Uh, last ten years in the playoffs. Here's your win percentage by turnover margin. Uh, if you're plus one, you win 63% of the time. If you're plus two, you win 75% of the time. If you are plus three, you win 80% of the time. If you are plus four or more, you are 7-0. and You've won every single game. That's in the playoffs over the last 10 years. The plus two, notable, there's a lot in there. 24-8. and 24-8 teams in plus two. That is not a secret. We are not breaking news. Uh, however, to piggyback on that, it is obvious, and this team being so good at it, Joe Burrow being so good at not turning it over, which was a big part of his heater that we referenced so much during the run of the Super Bowl last year, um, is a big reason why they win games. Yeah, I mean, for this defense, plus two almost seems like the baseline, where you almost <laughs> expect them to get to every game, and then if if Burrow and the offense don't turn it over, there you are. You're at 75%, and it is. It's, it's one thing to... And I remember they were on this streak for the longest time where the, the Bengals had the an NFL record for most consecutive games without recovering an opponent's fumble. And interceptions are going to come. You know, balls are going to bounce off receivers' hands. They're going to get tipped. Or you're going to jump routes. You're going to get interceptions here or there. But the fumbles are much harder to make happen. And this team might be the best in the league in that regard. And it's it's in in the flow of the game where – you just rip it out. And then it's what you said, holding guys up and ripping it out. And the, the perfect example of that, you know, Lou talked about it, the the one that where Pratt ripped it out from Travis Kelsey in the Chiefs game that really kind of turned that game. And then the one last week where the, the Ravens finally hit a big play and Sammy Watkins is running down the sideline, 47-yard gain, and Cam Taylor, Britt, and Jesse Bates are talking to each other about how to get the ball out, and Jesse gets it out. And all of a sudden, they're in – the Ravens are in position to cut it to a one-score game, and the Bengals get the ball back, keep it at 11, and that's how it ends with an 11-point win. And I think that's where when we start talking about the specifics of this game, if you're talking about an Anthony Brown, like it's not that he can't 
go out and run their offense and run the ball effectively and and all that. It's that he's going to make critical mistakes that whether it's patting the ball in the end zone while Hendrickson takes the hit on you or just taking a hit and sailing a ball directly to Jesse Bates. I mean, there's just there's no way around that guys without experience that you know it's the difference and it's going to kill them. And that's where, you know, the, that is when you go down the line, sure, guys can be athletic and the, their unique offense can kind of survive in a lot of ways. But the difference, Lamar's so much more explosive, but he's also safe with the ball. Like he doesn't make a lot of big mistakes that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's such a big difference in the, the style that the Ravens play and try to win games. Um, all right which talking about the Ravens is a perfect opportunity for us to drop back in with Jeff Zrebeck. Jay, you caught up with him on Wednesday. So uh, let's dive back into a very, very newsy Baltimore, Maryland. Jeff, how are things in Baltimore today? Good, Jay. Good, Jay. I mean, the whole season's been a roller coaster and it just seems so fitting that Everybody's excited about the Roquan Smith deal, and uh, 24 <laughs> hours later, there's already concern that uh, Lamar Jackson won't play. That's kind of been the the season, you know, a good <laughs> news quickly followed by a, a sobering news. Yeah, not looking good for Lamar. Uh, you, you wrote about Lamar coming off of the, the the loss on Sunday about how even if he's not 100%, that him playing would give the Ravens their best chance to win the wild card game against the Bengals. So with it looking like he may not or won't play, how greatly do those chances of winning diminish if it's if it's Tyler Huntley? Yeah, you know, I think it's significant, Jay. I I mean, look, I, I think the Ravens defensively are good enough. I'm not saying to win the game because that's not the case. The Bengals are too talented offensively. I think they're good enough regardless who their quarterback is to keep the Ravens in the game. Um, You know, obviously, I don't think Bengals showed everything, but I'm sure the Ravens didn't show everything either. And and they kind of did that on this previous Sunday, uh, despite the fact getting put in a terrible situation in three different, you know, the obviously defensive touchdown and then the two interceptions in their own territory. Um, so they're good enough to hold them in the game, I believe. But you're not going to hold down this Bengals offense forever. And at some point, you've got to score points. And, and you know, whether it's Anthony Brown, Tyler Huntley, they just haven't been able to score points. I, I mean, you know, like we're talking about only one touchdown in like five or six straight games. They haven't scored over 17 points in a game since, you know, Lamar went out. Um, they don't they can't score in the red zone. Uh, it's just. They just can't score. I, I mean, it, it goes without saying, and and I just don't see this game being a defensive struggle. I think the the Ravens defense probably will make a make some plays, and um, I would be surprised if they get rolled over. But you know, at some point, you need support on the other end, and the Ravens just haven't shown they're capable of scoring. And, and you're not going to beat the Bengals by scoring only 10, 13 points. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, a big reason for that, the Baltimore wide receivers in the last three games have 10 catches for 189 yards, and 47 of those came on Sammy Watkins' play Sunday when he fumbled at the end of it. Um, So, you know, regardless of who plays quarterback, it looks like the Ravens are going to get Mark Andrews and J.K. Dobbins back. Is, Is that enough to give them a chance, or do they have to get some sort of production from wide receivers to to be able to pull off an upset against the Bengals? You know, I think somebody's going to have to make a play at some point. I, I mean, you know, we're, 
you, their Ravens are going to run the ball a lot, as much as possible. Dobbins enters the mix there. Um, he's not J.K. Dobbins pre-injury, but his vision is his. He's a he's a handful, and he was starting to look really good uh, before they sat him this last game. So he should be probably as good as he's felt all year. Um, Mark Andrews is one of the best tight ends in the sport. I mean, he's a threat. Yeah. But I mean, that's still I I don't know that that that'll help. I, I mean, let's be serious. And so will Zeitler. I mean, Zeitler's a really good block. You know, he's been their best. Their offensive line's been good all year, and Zeitler's probably been their best guy consistently. So those guys will help. I, I, they're they should be in better position. Um, but you know, at, at some point, you have to make some throws. Your your wide receivers have to make some plays. It and Jay, uh, that was it was the effort by the Ravens receivers on Sunday was embarrassing. And, and I'm not just talking about okay. Look, the group's not that talented. They have a couple guys who, who are, you know, past their prime, guys that are on the uh, back nine and, and, and like Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson ain't that guy anymore. And then there's mm -hmm. some young guys that are still learning. But, you know, James Prochet, not knowing where he is on the field and just wandering out of bounds to yeah. take away that one big play. You had Watkins not being able to get his feet down on that end zone possession and – you know, there was one Demarcus Robinson dropped two, and there's a couple plays he wasn't lined up right. And then there was one of the two minute situations that Demarcus Robinson was 20 yards upfield, either j talking or trash talking, or j <laughs> not even going back the huddle. It's yeah. just, it was a bad, bad performance. Obviously, they're not, they're low in talent there, but you have to give something. You have to help your quarterback out at some point. And make a play. I mean, we saw young tight end Isaiah likely make some plays. I, I mean, he can play. We saw Charlie Collaire in his first action all year really make some plays. So uh, the young guys came through, but they need one of those veteran receivers to make a couple plays and then hold on to the ball when they do. Yeah, we are so focused on on Sunday and what's going to happen, but uh, obviously Ravens are a division team and they are not going any. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. Um, and neither is Roquan. You mentioned he signs the huge extension. Uh, I'm curious the ripple effect of that. Does that have any play in the Lamar situation? Can the Ravens afford to have two of the highest paid players at their position? I think what it does is it allows them to franchise Lamar. You, you yeah. know, like I guess the Bengals are, are like this similarly in terms of their draft picks, and, and the Ravens just hate trading draft picks. I, I mean, they are a draft and develop organization, and then they make selective forays in the trade market or free agency to kind of upgrade a need. So when they traded a second rounder and a fifth for uh, for Roquan, you know, you knew they were going to try to sign him. You didn't just didn't know how viable it was and you knew Roquan wanted to be the highest paid guy in the league and and the, at his position and there's some teams that just don't value that position enough to make that uh to write that check but the Ravens always have you know whether it was Mosley uh, Queen Ray Lewis obviously going back they've used second round picks first round picks that they're big on that position so I don't think it's a surprise. I, look, you can do it. You can manage the cap. I don't think Roquan will have a huge number early. Um, but, you know, we could spend a whole show talking about their options for <laughs> Lamar Jackson. I, I mean, I think it, they're not going to give away a fa fully guaranteed deal like he wanted. Um, and this season could not have possibly convinced them that that's the right play. He's, you know, he's been really good at times, really average at times, and then hurt. 
And it, it's just, it's tough for the second straight year to be without your quarterback uh, in key yeah. games. It's not Lamar's fault, but that all comes into play in negotiations, of course. So, um, you know, I, I think the franchise tags, the most likely scenario. I, I think if Lamar lowers his demands, there's probably a deal to be had. I also think if a team blows them away, there's a trade to be had. Um, I for, for the first time over the last couple months, I, I've conceded that I don't think it's definite that he's he's on their team next year. I, I think yeah. it's possible that they will explore trades. I don't want people to get all in uproar. You know, Raven fans, you mention it and they start flipping out. I just said that I think if they are blown away, it would be something they'd consider because it just feels like something needs to happen here offensively. Uh, Greg Roman, you know, maybe, you know, calling plays for the final time with the Ravens. They have a decision to make there. Um, but the, you know, obviously the big fish is Lamar and, and they're going to have to do something, figure that out. Cause it's just been hanging over their head now for two seasons and, and it's not doing anybody any good. You know, based on the, the media requests that I've received from Baltimore <laughs> this week, the, uh, the piece that I wrote with the comments from the Bengals players, uh, actually, you know, not actually, but was, was taken note of in Baltimore, shall we say? Um, I'm just curious from your end of it. Did, did that look like typical feisty play in a divisional game, or you know, do you think it was a little bit of the Ravens kind of sending a message that hey, this is a this is game one of two, and, and we're not going away? Yeah, I think it, there was definitely, a, and I think that goes also Jay with why they played all those guys, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think they know. First of all, I don't think the uh, you know Ravens are a proud team. There's a lot of swagger and confidence in that locker room. I don't think they run scared of the Bengals. You know, I don't think like I think John Harbaugh clearly showed that he wasn't worried about. I'm not saying he, he thinks they're going to win or, you know, anything, but I'm just saying he wasn't scared of the Bengals first round playoff matchup. If so, I think you'd have seen a more concerted effort to avoid it. And we just didn't see that Sunday. But in how he played the defense, I think it clearly showed that, you know, they wanted to be physical. They wanted to kind of send a message that we're not going away. I mean, me personally, I, I'd like to think uh, I'm in the middle here and I'm not, you know, taking a side, but I thought it was a good, chippy, AFC North-spirited game. I, I, I mean, look, I think some of those videos people are sending, they're acting like it was like the most egregious stuff in the world. I mean, like Roquan Smith's chest bump in the end zone on Chase. Yeah. Like, I used to do that to my friends in the hallway of high school between <laughs> periods, you know? Like, if they were kind of their head was down in the hallway, I'd give them a little shoulder in, in the chest to let them know I'm there. I mean... Come on, man. I mean, that's not dirty. I mean, unnecessary, no. unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and I will say, too, you know, there was some chirping in the Ravens locker room, uh, you know, after the game about some of the antics of the Bengals, too. So I, I think it goes both ways. I, I do think you're right. I think there's a clear, um, you know, there's a clear priority of trying to be physical for Cincinnati. And that's how you're going to have to play that team, you, you know, and, and and they wanted to be physical, play through the whistle. Um, you know, I've still yet to see some egregiously dirty play that everybody's sending, yeah. um, you know, a couple things that probably were necessary could have been flagged. Absolutely. Like, but I mean, the face mask on Burrow, that wasn't a dirty play. It was, yeah. should have been, it should have been flagged, but I don't think like, was it Jason Pierre Paul? I don't think he was yeah. trying to pull, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's head off. I, I just think he just got the face mask and should have been called. But yeah, I, I think that's great, Jay. I, it's great for us. 
You wrote a great story. It's a huge talking point in, in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I think it's great for the rivalry. I think it's probably one of the reasons this game's on Sunday night, that and Aaron Rodgers losing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think, it, you know, people want to see these kind of rivalries. As long as we're not seeing knee shots and head shots. Yes. And, you know, that's the stuff that just cannot happen. But the other stuff, I, I, the, you know, the talking, the chest bumping, the, you know, the pointing fingers, I, I don't think that's a bad thing, to be honest with you. Please don't blame me for that story, for this game being on Sunday night. That's the last thing that I wanted to come out of that. Um, you, you know, you talked about the, they played all those guys on defense, and the, the one exception was Marcus Peters. Um, I'm just curious, you know, he's he's 30 now. He has uh, one pass yeah. defended since week six, but he's also he's a veteran of 10 playoff games. What, what would his return mean to an already pretty strong slash elite Baltimore defense? You know, Jay, I, I'll answer that question in a second. But one of the cool thing, one of the things that actually shocked me before the Bengals game in introductions, or not in introductions in the pregame warmups, I noticed like John Harbaugh never went anywhere near midfield, which he usually <laughs> does. There was no pleasantries exchanged between him yeah. and Zach Taylor. It was clear. I mean, I don't know. Maybe John was watching his third string quarterback on the other side. <laughs> I, you know, but it seemed interesting. But Marcus Peters made a beeline to run over and give Zach Taylor a hug and chat. I guess they know each other from L.A., but I thought that was kind of interesting because he's yeah. kind of known he's kind of known as the most volatile Raven of all. You, you know what I mean? So I think with Marcus Peters is is, uh, you know, it, it's a popular theme this year with the Ravens. But it's true. I, he's yet another guy who came back from his an injury playing his butt off still capable of doing some things is an important piece, but it's just not himself. I, you know, these major knee injuries, you know, you just can't say anymore. They're one year things and you expect guys to just like that, be back to themselves the next year. He hasn't been JK Dobbins. Hasn't been Gus Edwards. Hasn't been, we've seen how long it's taken Ronnie Stanley to get back. So mm -hmm. uh, Marcus Peters is like that. He just hasn't been himself. He hasn't run as well, but man, you know, Ro Marcus Peters is a savant. And, you know, Burrow does not make a, many mistakes. What Marcus Peters gives the Ravens is that big play element. If Burrow makes a mistake, uh, he can take it back for six. And and this is a game that the Ravens defense may need to score in or at least set the bang, set the offense up in really good position. Uh, Marcus Peters is as fiery and as as any player they have, I think he'll, he'll lift the you know the intensity level on the field even more. But yeah, you know Jay, uh, he's not Marcus Peters pre-injury, the guy that you know is a Pro Bowl cornerback. That's just not been him all year. You know something that that struck me Sunday, um, and there were so many other things going on that yeah. I, I think it it might have eluded some people. But as Baltimore is driving down two scores and you're thinking, well, would they kick a long Tucker field goal and then try the onside? Um, that that 51-yard field goal he kicked barely made it. And mm -hmm. you, you don't see that from him. He's got this incredible leg. And I was looking at his stats, and he's got some misses this year too. And it's it's almost crazy to say, but, I mean, he's 33 now. Have have, have you seen any kind of start of a decline in, in who is arguably the greatest kicker in NFL history? Um, and I, I was actually watching his pregame too, and and he was short on some long ones. Um, so I'm not sure if it was the condition. I, I I'm not sure. Um, you look at his stats. I think three of his kicks are blocked. So um, and there's a couple like you're asking him to make 
high 50-yard field goals. There might even be a low 60 mixed in there. I mean, that's a lot to ask in outdoor places. So, no, um, you know, like he's not he's in the Pro Bowl. I'm not saying that's the best measure. You know, I, I, he's mm-hmm. I, I agree. He's probably the best that we've ever seen do it. Um, I think he's still kicking the ball at a, at a pretty high level. Um, their operation, I don't think has been as strong as it's been in the past. Um, as I said, they've gotten some kicks blocked, which is kind of rare. Um, but yeah, I think if it comes down to the Ravens driving late in the game and, and them shot, you know, needing a field goal and them being able to try Tucker on the field, I think they still think they feel pretty good about themselves at that moment. Well, that leads right into my last question. Is that a hypothetical or is that a prediction? Is this going to come down to a field goal game? I know there's a lot of questions hanging out there about whether Lamar will play or not. We're recording this Wednesday morning, so we don't even know what what his practice situation for the week is going to be. But but how do you see this game playing out uh, on Sunday? Who do you who are you picking to win this game? I'm picking the Bengals, Jay, and I know everyone's going to say, you know, I remember we had this conversation last week and you were a mm-hmm. little surprised. I felt like it was going to be so one-sided. At that point, I really didn't know who Harbaugh would play. You, yeah. you know, like it's – and still, you like you look at some of the guys he sat and some of the guys he didn't. It's kind of curious to the strategy. Um, I left Paycor uh, late Sunday night after we exchanged pleasantries and – I thought the Ravens had a shot. Like I, I wouldn't have at that point. I wasn't saying I'm going to pick them to win, mm-hmm. but the 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 optimism around Lamar Jackson late in the week was was there some optimism building. It was guarded, but it was yeah. starting to build a little. You would start to hear some good things. I'd run into Lamar in the hallway, and he seemed to be in really good spirits. He was coming. It looked like he's coming from a workout. Um, so I was, you know, I was like, you know what? He's going to be rusty. He's not going to be a hundred percent. But he's one of the most dynamic players in the league. He gives them a chance. He's going to lift the energy of everyone with Lamar. I mean, they say all the right things about we can beat anybody. We don't care who quarterback is. But let's be realistic. They know, you know, they know what the challenges are without him. So I thought that they would, you know, it, it would be a close game, could be a field goal game. It just feels like the optimism with Lamar is dim since then, Jay. You're not hearing as many positives. I, I kind of almost would be surprised if he's practicing today or if he's able to do much. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a game. The Ravens' defense will keep him in it for a while. Um, you know, I, I, I think – but, I, I, you know, this is a proud team. and It's on national TV. I don't think they'll come out flat. I, I think they'll come out with a good game plan. Their defense will keep him in it, but – yeah, I'm still leaning towards a, a a ten a two possession type game, Jay, and I you know kind of like last week, um, but yet a little more competitive through the first three quarters, I would say. All right, well, I want to thank you for being the first ever back to back week guest and hear that podcast growl in history. And for the Bengal fans out there, make sure you cover Jeff this week. He's got the Ravens covered. No one covers that team better than he does. Um, a lot of stuff still to get to before we get to game time. And he's he's got a piece up now. And Bengal fans may not be interested or may be upset that they even won that game, but it's an incredible oral history of that amazing playoff game uh, when they beat the Broncos in overtime 10 years ago. Just really, really interesting stuff in that piece. And again, Jeff, just thank you so much for carving some time out for us on a, on a busy week. My pleasure, Jay. Look forward to hanging out again in the press box Sunday. All right. Um, I will, let's talk a little bit about takeaways from the conversation with Jeff. Jay, I have one. Um, they are good enough regardless who the quarterback is to hold them in the game. At some point, you have to be able to score points. 
They just haven't been able to score points. Mm-hmm. I think at the base, we'll, 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 sp- we'll spend so much time on the minutia, and sometimes it's just the the headline is really all that matters. I, I don't recommend that with The Athletic. Obviously, we <laughs> have so much more nuance beyond the headline. However, sometimes the headline is all that matters is this team can't score points, and I think Jeff's Lines it up there pretty clearly. That's just the problem. Unless Lamar showed up and bring them juice with Huntley, with Brown, with whoever, they can't score. Yeah, that was mine too. Not so much specifically that, just the how dismissive he was of their chances of winning. I I, I think last week's game almost makes it makes you think that they're they're more likely of winning this game as opposed to less likely of, of winning the wild card game, just because they did. I know the Bengals weren't showing everything and holding things back, but they, they did get something going. It was 17 to nothing. And it looked like it was just going to be pulled the starters and, and coast to a win. And the Ravens made that game interesting. And it wasn't just, you know, Lamar and Huntley that are out. It was, it was Andrews and it was Zeitler. It was Dobbins. They, they had some key pieces out and I I do wonder if if that defense can kind of hold the Bengals in that 17 to 21 range. That defense, yeah, it's not a great Baltimore offense, but if that defense does get a turnover here or there, um, whether it's a, a Joe Burrow interception, batted ball, or a fumble, whatever it may be, if it's an easy field or if it's if Duvernay, no, Duvernay, sorry, he can't come. He's he's got one more game back. But if they can make something happen in special teams, it I just I I was surprised. I I feel like this game is is going to be within one score and, and maybe even closer than that. And Jeff just seemed to think that this was this was going to be a a relatively easy Bengals win. Yeah, I mean, I but there was you know admitting I thought admitting that there's a thought that coming out of last week it felt different, but that was strictly mm. based on the optimism for Lamar coming back. You know. I, I just I look at a team here that you know he talked about the embarrassing nature of the receiver play and <laughs> and 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 it is well because what up but what else do you expect Sammy Watkins was just booted the hell out of Green Bay who's dying for receivers like, get out of here man and now he's showing up and you're surprised that he doesn't make a play or shows carelessness or any of these guys that they've pulled off the scrap heap. Like, that's the problem. That's what happens when you have these dudes. They make mistakes. They don't make plays. They do lazy stuff. It's, it's, it's part of the issue when you're pulling dudes off the scrap heap to try to throw to. I mean, you just you, – I think that J.K. Dobbins and Mark Andrews can be dangerous. I would honestly – you got to feel like they're sitting there putting together a huge package of 13 personnel plays mm-hmm. to go out there with Andrews, Likely, and Kohler and trying to power run and do all their play action stuff, throwing those tight ends off of it because that's the most effective thing they've got and and the, and the best chance they're going to have to go play and win. And so you know, I, I would certainly expect to see a bunch of that coming up in this game too. Yeah, because not not just is that their best chance of moving the ball, but it also shrinks the possessions and and sure. keeps it out of Burrow's hand uh, as much. And what I think the Bengals had thirteen possessions against the Ravens on Sunday. That's unheard of against that team. And you you, you would think it's going to be more in the eight to nine range in this game. 
Strictly, so many of them were so short, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. was uh, that was a big part of the problem in that Ravens defense really getting after them. Um, all right, before we get even more into this game, let's run through some stuff. Let's start with some Arby's. Uh, Jay, what have you got? Uh, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, but just it 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 didn't feel like a playoff Wednesday yesterday. For all those years when Marvin was here, just how tense the team was about getting that first win, even to a lesser degree last year. And it's just is a remarkably loose locker room yesterday. Um, guys not, and we talked about this, you know, before the, the finale as well, guys not dipping out of there and, and not wanting to talk, everybody willing to talk and embrace our questions about what they, they learned from last year and, and ask them to reflect on that playoff run. And it, it really did just feel like a, a week 11, week 12, a regular Wednesday um, down at Paycor, it did not at all feel like playoff week. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. I, but I think that is a tip to the regular nature of expectations for this team. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the big week. You, I, I think next week will feel like a big week yes, if they absolutely. win on Sunday. If they win on Sunday, next week going to Buffalo um, will feel massive. But last year, it certainly felt massive because that was the big hurdle that everyone wondered about. And a lot of that, though, was us making it feel massive. I mean, this is a lot on our own feel yep. and what we create when we're in there. They have a different feel when it's just them in there. And I don't know that theirs is the same as ours. But yeah, obviously, it's um, obviously it was a different feel. I'll say this. I'm going to kind of cheat, Jay, a little okay. bit. I tweeted this, and this is supposed to be stuff that isn't out there that you didn't. That's just kind of a story, but it just made me laugh. I have really one of my favorite things about this year has been the coming out of the shell of BJ Hill, <laughs> who is a hysterical dude. He's just he's a really funny guy, and I think he was coming into a new place last year. He was kind of a reserve behind Larry Ogunjobi. He was a role player, and I think he wasn't quite, you know, letting his full personality show. Well, a team that gives you a big contract and makes you a starter, and uh, it cha- it makes you feel a lot more comfortable in your own skin around the building. And he has been, and he is, you know, always here to joke and uh, play around, and. We were talking to him yesterday, and he's talking about the playoffs, and he's talking about uh, how this team, you know, defense, we just, we're like a fine wine. We just get better as we go on. And someone asked him, what wine would you be? He's like, you know, I'd be like, I'm like a red blend, maybe a, kind of a cab. I'm like a red blend, you know. I appreciate him having a very specific answer to what kind of a wine he would be. I could see him being a blend, but really what got me is he talked about the playoffs being here. You know, he's really good friends with his boy Jermaine Pratt. And I've heard this going around. People are talking about playoff P, right? He earned that name last year, playoff P. I said, So are you uh are you changing? Are you calling him playoff P now that the playoffs are here? Are you calling him playoff P? He said, His name is Jermaine. <laughs> Said it as deadpan as you can, looking right at me. Oh, man, I lost it. I love a good, like, just straight deadpan, and he just killed it. His name is Jermaine. And I was like, okay. So what? No. what's it? Oh, Maybe if he scores a touchdown, I will call him Playoff P. But he has a name. His name is Jermaine. 
made me laugh. I tweeted it out. I don't know if it had the same effect. I wish the delivery was really killing me. So shout out BJ Hill for coming out of his show this year. I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed his uh, shtick for sure. It's a t- tough ask asking for a touch. I mean, I w- I would say if he gets a turnover, you get you go back to playoff B asking BJ, for a touchdown. BJ, that's how much BJ doesn't want to call him playoff P. <laughs> Um, all right, let's go to, uh, let's see, which we go Bengals growler bet next. Let's do it. Um, okay. We have a rollover from, uh, Mark Andrews, not participating last week. We were going to do percentage of passing yards of Ravens passing yards that go to Mark Andrews, uh, because in the last game that he played, it was 53% J I believe. Trying to remember back to last week. No, it was almost 80. He had 100 out of 130. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I said 53. Uh, So Mark Andrews has gotten a significant percentage of the total passing yards when he has been in. That will be a rollover. So a two, you're going to get two. You're going to get that one again. If you want to guess it again, you got to re-guess it. I'm not going back through the old ones. (laughs) You got to re-guess it. Uh, Whatever you want it to be. What will his percentage of Ravens passing yards B. Um, and then the second one is going to be Jay. What are we going to do for the second one? It's going to be time of game. The Bengals get their first takeaway. We've talked so much about this team's ability to get turnovers, especially in the playoffs. This seems to be the key stat of this game, key stat of any playoff game. So time of game when they get their first takeaway, I can't. Re- are we given a buffer? Yeah, let's give a buffer. Two, let's let's go. Let's go. Yeah, two seconds, two seconds either, either direction. Two seconds either direction. So you got a four second window. And if you if you want to say zero, the Bengals are not going to get a takeaway in this game. Your, your secondary pick will be total points scored in the game. So you yeah. are allowed to say zero. Yeah, you you can say zero if you want, but then you got to nail total points scored. So good luck. I recommend picking a takeaway time. Uh, all right. Are we going to make our guesses? Yeah, we're going to make our guesses. If you want to submit right now, submit, you can, of course. Email me, pdaner at theathletic.com. Make sure the word growler is somewhere in the subject header. If it it is funny, if it makes me laugh, if it is creative, we will give you a shout-out here. Uh, The the silent assassin Ray White Memorial. (laughs) Shout-out, not memorial. Not Uh, memorial. (laughs) He's very much with us. Uh, It it should be named after him at this point as he's been uh, the best at doing that. But we always appreciate that. Of course, hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter. Just drop that in there. We will go through that hashtag and find an answer. If it is correct, you will win some delicious 50 West beer next time we were out doing a live show at the campus out there. All right, Jay, what's your first answer? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I'm going to go 66% on Andrews. I think that's what I did last week. I think he's going to get the bulk of the receiving yards. Um, For the takeaways, it's going to be interesting because I had mentioned this last week that the the Bengals hadn't kicked off to start a game since week two. Uh, Going into that week three game at the Jets is when Burrow said, yeah, I kind of would like to take the ball first. And every time they've won the coin toss, they've taken it first. Uh, The Ravens won it last week, and they took it first. That's the first time a team has not deferred against the Bengals all year. I wonder if they would take the same approach this year or this week. Um, I'm not so sure of it. I I, I think the Bengals win the toss, get the ball first, go down and score, and then instantly get that turnover. I'm going 7-30 first quarter. Wow. You're just saying they're going to get it quick. You know, 
It was in Tennessee where Jesse Bates did it on the first play first of the play. game. Uh, it was against the Raiders where very early in the first quarter, Trey Hendrickson had the uh, the sack fumble that Larry Ogunjobi recovered that Luana Rumo mentioned earlier. Uh, we've seen that be a trait, certainly of this team. Uh, I, I could see that. Um, I'm going to go uh, passing situation. I'm going to say Greg Roman botches it again. Uh, and is trying to do crazy stuff in the two minute spot. I'm gonna say uh, 52 seconds. 52 seconds left in the second quarter. Uh, first takeaway of the game for the Bengals to help turn the tide. Uh, and I will say um, Andrews passing yards. I'm gonna say I'm going again. Right on. This is what I did last week. I'm 50 percent right in the middle. 50. Going right right at 50. Right at 50. Clean 50. Right in the middle. Exactly half to Mark Andrews. All right. Uh, let's go to run pastor boot for you to uh, discuss with your friends. We're just trying to get you some small talk. You know, you want to break the ice. You're sitting at the bar. Who, who, what? I don't know who John's friend is that he brought with him. Who is this guy? I don't know what to say to him. What's he? <laughs> these parties are getting too big for the playoffs. People that don't even watch football. Let's just start a run pastor boot to break the ice. So we got one for you. We got two for you. Jay, kick us off. Uh, we do have two. Do you want to recap? The, oh, yeah. We've got a lot of action we've got to go back through. You're right. Let's let's quickly do. go back through the action. So way back on November 15th, we had one that will Burrow lead the league in passer rating, passing yards, or passing touchdowns. Um, that did, He didn't lead in any of it. He was he was second in passing yards. He, I, I did passing yards per game and passing TDs per game because he had one less game than everybody sure. else. So he was second on both of those. He was sixth in passer rating. So that one didn't get scored. Uh, we That same day we had one. What will be greater the rest of the season? Burrow interceptions. Games the Bengals lose by double digits or hmm. games in which the Bengals give up five plus sacks. Well, Burrow threw six picks and the other two were zero. They didn't lose any games by any amount and they didn't give up five sacks in any game. So uh, we both ran with Burrow interceptions on that one and nailed it. Uh, the other one is still kind of up in the air because it, it involved. Well, one of the other ones involves Burrow finishing in the top two in the MVP race. So we'll have to wait on that one. And then, uh, Paul, you won this one on December 13th. It was, will the Bengals get the one seed, the two or the three, or the five? You ran with two or three. They, of course, got the three. I ran with five. Didn't think they still didn't think on December 13th they were going to win the division, uh, but they did. And so you you got the win on that one. We still have that one to grade on whether Burrow will be in the top two of MVP because the other choices that in that run passer boot were Bengals win the AFC North, which did happen, and P. Ryan getting to a thousand scrimmage yards, which did not come close. Uh, no, I mean, really, it goes back to the topic of really that's hovered over this whole show, and that is the Lamar Jackson injury has just gone on mm. so much longer than anybody would have thought. If if I would have told you on December 13th that Lamar Jackson will not play the rest of the year, I'm going to guess your answer might have been different. Yes, um, absolutely. Okay, so run, pass, or boot now for, to, for this weekend. Okay, so for this one, uh, elapsed minutes before the Bengals score their first touchdown, number of receptions by Ravens wide receivers – or number of targets for Bengals players outside of the big three, Chase Boyden Higgins. Okay. Um, 
I think the Bengals are going to score on their first possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've seen them in big games be very aggressive, understand the importance of being very aggressive, and understand the importance of doing that and getting up on Baltimore. I think you're going to – I wouldn't be surprised to see a little Burrow versus the Bills magic where he showed up ready mm-hmm. to get after it. Um, and so I'm going to say, again, it comes down to win. Did they get? I'm going to say 11-11. Uh, is when he's going to get there, when they're going to have the elapsed minutes. So what are we going to go? What is that? 349. Yeah, that's not On much. that one. So 349. So 3.49. Uh, and then Baltimore wide receiver catches are going to be more than that. Non-big three targets, um, I think, will be more than that. So I'm going to boot elapsed time. I am going to run with non-big three targets amongst the receivers, correct? Uh, and then I... Anybody. Any, anybody. Including yeah. tight ends? Okay, well, yeah. Yeah, hers, P. Ryan, Mixon. Oh, yeah. Then yeah. I'm definitely running with that. And uh, Baltimore wide receiver catches, I will pass. Yeah, I went the same way because, as I said earlier, I think they score early. Um, I, I think P. Ryan and Mixon um, get targeted a lot. With We don't know how good this pass... this. O-line is going to hold up, especially on the right side against that Baltimore defense. can see a lot of checkdowns. And uh, just because Anthony Brown or Tyler Huntley throws to the Baltimore wide receivers doesn't mean they're going to catch them. There was a lot of drops last Sunday. I don't see that changing either. Um, our second run passer boot is all Burrow. This one, I, I like this one. This, one's, this one can go a lot of different ways. Uh, what will be greater on Sunday night? Burrow sack yardage. Burrow rushing yardage or Burrow incompletions. That's really good. It's really good. Um, I am going to run with rushing yards. I think something that we saw as a common theme as big games happen, as the playoffs evolved last year, was Burrow's willingness to use his legs more. We saw that more last week. I think there's going to be more pressure. Um but I also think we also saw last week Burrow's ability to get out of it and an understanding of when to take off and to take advantage of some situations with his legs is going to play a major role. So I'm going to run with Burrow rushing yardage. Uh, I am going to pass on sack yardage, uh, and I'm going to boot incompletions. Now, I think there will be a decent amount, but I also think we will see – you know, a decent amount of sacks too. I think he's going to take some hits. I think he, they're going to get him at some point. Uh, the Ravens are too good. You're, they're going to try to go after Max Sharping and all that stuff. And so I, I think you'll see something over there. Um, but that's my that's my run passer boot. Yeah, I'm flipping it. I'm going to run with incompletions. I, just because I, I don't know that they can run the ball on this team and, it, and they may not even try if it doesn't work early. And, you know, I know Burroughs, we don't view him as a normal human quarterback, but you, you got to figure 10 to 12 incompletions in a playoff game. It's kind of a baseline. I know he's had games where he's had fewer than that, but against this defense and the amount of times he's going to throw it, um, I think there'll be more. And then I'll pass on the rushing yards and I'll boot sack yardage. Um, yeah, maybe the Ravens get to him two or three times, but uh, you know it's not going to be deep drops where it's nine, 10 yard sacks, probably going to be more in the five, six range. And um, I, He's not going to stay clean, but I don't think that we're going to see a ton of sack yardage. All right, Jay, 
two stats that you have. One that connects directly to that sack yardage thing. You know, there's been a sack streak happening uh, with Burrow that goes two different ways. It's fascinating. You were telling me about what's uh, give me give me some Jay's got stats on Burrow sack streaks. So the the Bengals have given up a sack in 34 consecutive games. That counts. <laughs> that counts playoffs and regular season. Uh, going into last weekend, that was the third longest streak in the in active street in the NFL. The Jets were within five games of breaking the NFL record of 74, and they did <laughs> it last week. They didn't give up a sack. So wow. now the Bengals have moved up to the second longest um, active streak. The, the Broncos have the longest now at 38. So if the Bengals give up a sack, they go to the Super Bowl. And give up a sack in all four games, they will tie the Broncos uh, for the longest active streak. But the weird thing is consecutive games not giving up more than two sacks. And the Bengals are at eight. And that's the third longest in the league right now. There's there's the, the Chiefs are at 10. And I'm sorry, there's a team at nine. And I'm, I'm my notes are all messed up here. But they, it is the third longest streak. Um, so they're giving up sacks every game, but it's in the one or the two range. It doesn't look like the seven and the six that we saw in weeks one and two. Um, and that's, I think that's a good sign. It is, it's not good to have that long streak of giving up a sack every single game. But if you're holding it to one or two, you can, you can deal with that, especially if Joe Burrow's your quarterback. Absolutely. And really, that's the difference in Burrow that we have discussed all season long is the, understanding of when to get the ball, avoiding taking too many of those sacks, getting the check down out quick when it's not there, understanding all those situations. That's the biggest difference. It's why he's not taking as many sacks. It's why their offense have been, has been much more efficient. We've talked about this all year, really, ever since week two in, in mm-hmm. Dallas, those first two weeks. It's been the difference in, in his game reaching the next level, and you expect to see you know that continue as they go throughout the playoffs. Um, Jay, you also go ahead. Well, I was, I just found it, it, I'm sorry. The chiefs are, have the second longest at nine games. The lions have the longest at 11. Very my notes are all over sure, the place. Yeah. Very important to make sure we, <laughs> we get the, the, the lions in there. Um, all right. Jay's got stats. Part two, first quarter stats. It, it was interesting. A couple Fridays ago, someone mentioned, to Zach about how good they are when they score first. And he said nine and oh or eight and oh at the time, I believe it. Well, he knew exactly what the number was. Um that whether they score first or not, if they score a first touch a touchdown in the first quarter, they're undefeated this year. They're nine and oh. There's only two teams in the league that are undefeated if they get a first quarter touchdown. The other one's the Jets and they're undefeated because they only did it twice. They're 2 and 0. <laughs> <laughs> so, 9 and 0 is remarkable. The there there's a, the teams that have done it more often than the Bengals. The Bills have done it 11 times, but they're 8 and 3 in those games. The Vikings have done it 10 times, they're 9 and 1 in those games. The Eagles have done it 10 times, they're 8 and 2. Bengals 9 times, 9 and 0. Just get a just get a touchdown in the first quarter. And they're set. And that goes back to to taking that ball first. Taking the opening kickoff, it, even if you don't score on that opening drive, it, you're, you're most likely going to get a second drive in the first quarter. And just that that whole attacking mindset and playing with the lead, 
this team is terrific when they're able to do that. Sure, and they've won a lot of games, so if, obviously yeah. that's going to go along with it. But uh, the other side of that is, you know, we've we've kind of joked about the disrespect for the Morrison drives that has gone on <laughs> since they were pointed out at the beginning of the year about how throughout the course of Joe Burrow's career he had been really a different player the first two drives mm-hmm. because he's figuring out what teams are are doing to him, putting the puzzle together, and then he becomes I've figured you out Joe Burrow and he just kind of decimates you um that's shows there right if he's already figured you out in the first quarter it's over right like if he's already got you taken care of in the first quarter you don't have you have to jump out early on this team you have to show something that is gonna at least puzzle him for a little bit or you just don't have a chance or you're just your possessions are gonna catch up to you at least that has been the case for who he's become this year um so i i think that's an important part of that conversation I, i i like that um all right jay I have a couple, a couple for you before we go forward into our predictions. Uh, six seeds, the last four seasons, are seven and one. Seven and one. It's amazing. This has been the 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 NCAA tournament twelve five. Uh, of the NFL playoffs, right? Where the tw- every year the 12 seed is upset in the five seed. You know, you, you find some soft spots there. It's been kind of incredible. You've seen this be a spot. Giants, Vikings, the other on the other side of the ledger. It was uh, one and one last year, but the three previous years, the six seeds swept. A really interesting dynamic there when you think about it. Well, those previous years, it was a 6 3 game. Whereas last year it would have been a six two game. Oh no, no, because no, it's no, yeah, no, no, it was no, no, still no. So, yeah, it was same. still seven two six same. three. Yeah. yeah. It's been so, six three. But it, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about, where you know, if those six seeds and seven seeds a lot of times are teams that um yeah, the Bengals won the division last year, but they they get on the the run like the Bengals did, where they get in playoff playoff mode early and they have to win games just to get into the playoffs. So they're going in already in that do or die mindset and with that momentum. And it, that may not be the case when you're playing a three seed, um, but it's still that's that's surprising. And I, I know you've got one more to get to, but I I, I thought of this question. Say the Chargers beat the Jaguars Saturday night. Then what are you rooting for in Bills Dolphins before the Bengals even take the field? Because yes, if Dolphins upset the Bills, you are talking about the the Bengals getting a home game in the second in this in the in this in the divisional round. But if they would you rather have the that second round divisional game or would you against the Chargers or would you rather the Bills just win, go to Buffalo, try to win that game and then possibly get the AFC championship game at home with a, a Chargers upset of the Chiefs? I, I it's it's kind of a, a tough call because you, I, if the if the Dolphins win, then the Bengals get the divisional round at home. But does anyone really have confidence that the Dolphins could go to Kansas City and win? And then that way you're talking about probably a return trip to Kansas City for the AFC Championship game. I mean, if Skylar Thompson found a way to beat the Bills in Orchard <laughs> Park, I think you got to give him a chance. I I don't see what fictional world that ever happens in. I mean, no. uh, 
I think your your hope would be if they pulled off that miracle by some grace. I have no idea how in the world this would happen, that the Dolphins would actually pull this off. But, I mean, maybe Tua could come back against Kansas City. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe right. he's cleared out of the protocol at that point. Obviously, they had some potential hope for that. Um, and maybe that, that would certainly change things. I mean, that would give Miami a very real chance. I mean, they were quite dynamic with Tua in the lineup this year. Um, even though he certainly had his rough stretches as well. I, I'm i not considering any scenario where the <laughs> Bills um, you know, lose, um, especially if DeMar Hamlin shows up at the game. Oh, uh, yeah. He, you know, he's been discharged now from the hospital. You wonder if he'll show up. Maybe he shows up if the Bengals happen to show up there and uh, you get all the training mm-hmm. staffs from both teams out there. And just that that would be pretty cool if that, if that were to be the case. Um, that said... Um, I don't, you know, I I don't see that see that happening. Um, you know, now the Mo scenario, I, I think of getting the AFC Championship game at home. I would say if Jacksonville or the Chargers, I don't whoever wins that game, I think has a real shot of going to Kansas City and winning. Hmm. I mean, they're playing both playing well. They both right. have elite quarterbacks that can give them trouble. The Chargers always give the Chiefs trouble. I think the the Jags, you know. I got to feel Press Taylor's giving a call. Hey, can you give me Lou Anarumo's <laughs> number, right? Just a, We're going to kind of investigate a little bit of how you guys were able to kind of befuddle the Chiefs. You, you know there's going to be something going on there. As, and so I just – I would not, you know, not counting chickens here too early, but if there's right. scenarios you're playing out, um, you know, I think there's certainly a chance. I, I, think, I think – I'll say this. If the Bengals can beat the Ravens, the toughest game of their entire playoffs would be the divisional round at Buffalo. Yep. I'll say that over the Super Bowl. Hmm. I think going to Buffalo is the toughest task that anybody has right now. Regardless of weather. Yeah, and that's just team. Yeah. That's team. Right. That's road. That's, you know. Emotions. That's emotion. That's everything. Yeah. It's everything. I, I, I think, especially for this team, who is yeah. 3-0 against the Chiefs, and will roll in there with a boatload of confidence. You know, and I and I think the NFC San Francisco is very good. Um, I, I I love what Kyle Shanahan has done, but you're still talking about Joe Burrow versus Brock Purdy at some point, right. and you and you feel like you like your chances. Um, again, that's getting way ahead of ourselves, but I'm just saying that hovering out there to me is the game. Yeah, if you could find any way for Skylar Thompson to pull off the miracle, it would be the best thing that could happen to the Bengals. All right, on that note, Jay, predictions time. Let's do it. What do you got? Um. So I, I kind of have this game looking similar to what I thought last Sunday was going to be. Last Sunday, I said 24 to 16 Bengals. Um, I'm going to go at the same margin and just lop a field goal off of each team's totals. I think it's going to be lower scoring, um, t- tighter. Uh, maybe that last touchdown comes at the end of the game to kind of to give them that buffer. I just. I I see this Ravens defense giving the Bengals a little bit of fits and keeping this thing interesting. Um, but I I'm with Jeff Zreback. I just I can't see this Ravens team topping twenty, and and I do think the Bengals will get there. So I'm I'm going Bengals twenty one, Ravens thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah i I have struggled with this game a little bit, Jay, because. There's been a lot of signs and a lot of things about this setup. The divisional opponent, the way the game looked last week, you know, the the holding back 
uh, of Harbaugh, the, just the history here, and the just the way their defense can really give you trouble that that gives you pause, and that are just tough to get past. If you know, if if Lamar was playing, it's obviously a very different thing. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I think this, I think the Ravens are going to give the Bengals everything they can handle. I really do. Even with Huntley, less so with Brown, I guess. But like, you know, I, I just think that it is going to be an absolute slog. It's going to be tough. They're going to p- try to pull the Bengals down into the muck and probably do it successfully at some points. They're going to force the Bengals to not make a big mistake, and if they do, the game becomes in jeopardy, whether it's an interception, whether it's some fump strip sack, which they had last week, whether it's a special teams play. I think Harbaugh has a view on a defense and special teams victory that would look something like 17-16 or 16-15, whatever. Like That's what it has to be for the Ravens. That said, I, I, I'm... I'm not going to bet against the Bengals with them not having Lamar. I, I think they find a way, but I think it is an absolute nerve-wracking experience at Paycor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have Bengals winning 19 to 17 um, mm-hmm. in a close one, um, but finding a way, getting that defensive stop that Dan talked about today to to win this game. I think it'll be insanely close, and the Bengals will be will be pushed. Big time, even even with a backup quarterback, uh, I just think that's that's the nature of AFC North. That's the nature of AFC North playoff games. I think yeah, that's the way. I could be wrong. I certainly could be wrong. I've been wrong before, um, but I I think this will be very close game. Was that coincidental? I mean, I know you say you explained why you think it's going to be both in the teens, but nineteen seventeen is the score they lost by in Baltimore in Week Five. Sure, odd odd score, just completely flipped. Yeah, flipped the script a little bit. Flipped the yeah. script a little bit. Uh, Evan McPherson, right? Yeah. You know, the Ravens are, are going to try to find ways to force red zone stops. They made some red zone stops last week with that yeah, defense. I think they feel like they have some things figured out down there. That's the ultimate we know you spot. Um, you know, Evan McPherson making some field goals uh is going to be a big part of this thing as well. So, that's what I have. Jay, the next time we talk, we will be breaking down whether the Bengals season moves on potentially to Buffalo or we are debriefing uh, a pretty big disappointment potentially for the, uh, yeah. what has been an incredible season by the Bengals um, and, and winners of eight in a row. So we shall see. Looking forward to it. Hope everybody has a great time and enjoys the game safely. Uh, and uh, it's going to be fun. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you. We will talk to you on the walkout. Have a good one, everybody.